settle the score, trying to get even. And we begin saying things that we never thought we'd say. We might look and say, you're pathetic. You always do this. Your mom or my mom or my dad or your, your friend or whoever was right about you. I could do so much better than you. We feel hurt. And so we hurt back. And that cycle continues. So what is the answer? How do we stop the cycle? Well, we, we see part of it in Colossians 3.13 where Paul is writing to the church in, the, in uh, Colossae and he says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. This command appears all throughout Scripture. It, it appears often and it's always with the same justification. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. We know that. We hear that. But today I want us to ask, what does biblical forgiveness look like? And to answer that question, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read the words of Jesus as he explains this through a parable. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. But before we get into that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would work in our hearts Holy Spirit, be be here among us as we know you are. Change us, convict us, help us to grow, help us to look more like Jesus, we pray. And it's in his name, amen. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, we're going to work through this and just kind of draw some observations as we go. The context for this is just before what happens here. Jesus has been teaching about how how sin can hinder and it can even break a relationship when people begin sinning against each other. And now, after hearing all this, Peter, who's a little smarter than I think we sometimes give him credit for, realizes that, that people sinning against each other means that somewhere in there, forgiveness is going to have to happen. And so he comes up to Jesus and Peter says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So here Peter comes and and he recognizes now that someone might come and sin against me and I'm going to have to forgive, but how often? Where is the limit? Where can I draw that line and say, no more forgiveness for you? And Jesus basically answers and says, people are going to sin against you a lot and you're going to have to forgive every time. It is not optional. Forgiveness for God's people is not optional. But then he goes on, and he begins to tell this parable. And we we start it in verse 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So here is this king settling accounts and there is a servant who owes 10,000 talents. And what the talents were, it was a a measurement. It was a way of measuring silver. And so 10,000 talents, one talent was about 75 pounds worth of silver. So 10,000 talents, if you translate that in today's, uh, today's currency here, that could be anywhere between 112 and $219 million, somewhere around there. That's how much 
this servant owes the king. If you were to translate that into time, one talent would be about 20 years wages for one of these laborers. So 10,000 talents is around 200,000 years worth of wages. And so the king comes and says, it's time to settle this debt. The first thing we need to see in here is that forgiveness is not ignoring the debt. Forgiveness is not looking at the, the debt and saying, it's nothing, it's no big deal, don't, don't even worry about it, no, no problem, right? That's fine if you accidentally cut the toast into triangles instead of rectangles, okay? <clears throat> but when you are dealing with real harm, when you are dealing with real debt, ignoring it, simply pretending that it doesn't exist is not forgiveness. What will happen then is it will just be like slow cuts, adding up and adding up and adding up until this debt becomes enormous. This king sees the debt and he comes to collect and obviously, since it could not be paid, he says, well, I'm going to get back what I can. And we're going to, we're going to do what we can to try and recover uh, as much money as I can. And so he's going to sell everyone off into indentured service, sell their, sell their work contracts, so to speak. And so the servant, hearing this in verse 26, he fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. What does the servant ask for? He says, have mercy. He says, cancel the debt. No, he says, have patience. Just give me a little more time and I will what? I will pay everything back. Now, here is the thing about this servant. He has no right to ask for patience. He's not even really sorry here. He doesn't even recognize how much he owes. He doesn't even recognize that he can never pay this back. He doesn't have 200,000 years. But he still comes and he offers penance instead of asking for mercy. He says, just give me some time. Just give me some time and, and I will get you the money. I will pay it back somehow. And I think as you hear that, if you're like me, you can think that there are times that we face the same. There are times when, when our, our spouse or someone owes a relational debt. They have hurt us and they don't even realize it. Or maybe, maybe they do, but they don't even know how badly they did. They don't know how deep the wound is. And that is what is happening here, is there is a servant who has no idea, has no idea what he's done, and he doesn't even approach it right. He just says, give me some time, I'll pay you back. And what is the king's response? In verse 27, it says this, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king here is not acting out of, out of his own debt. He's not acting out of anything. He is the one in control. He's the one who has the power here. He's the one to whom the debt is owed. And yet it says that he looks at this servant, and that, that word there is, is splognon, right? It, it, he feels it in his guts as this servant is there begging him. He feels it in his guts. It's that same feeling, you know, and we talked about this before, but it's that same feeling when the Sarah McLaughlin song comes on and you're like, oh no, here it is. And then you open your eyes and there they are, the puppies, right? And you hear that music and you, you feel it in your guts. 
It just hits you, and you have pity, you have compassion. This is what the king feels, and this is how the king responds. It, the, the words here, we don't have to go into, but the words here, it says that he is releasing him from his bonds, and he is sending him away from the debt. He is sending him away from the debt. If you were to take my mother-in-law to a zoo, she has this intense love for animals and their freedom. If you were to take my mother-in-law to a zoo, if she sees an animal looking pitiful in the cage, if she could, she would go to this cage and she would open up the doors, she would release it from the cage, and then she would send it on its way. And you would have animals going everywhere, every cage that she saw. Right? And this is what the king is doing. He's having pity on this man. He is, re- he is releasing him, and then he is sending him away from this debt. And this, we should understand, this is forgiveness. Forgiveness is choosing to release someone from the debt that they owe. Forgiveness is choosing to release someone from the debt that they owe you. You see, if you think about it, when we fight, when we really fight, we start taking something from each other. Happiness, respect, confidence, sleep, comfort, trust, friendship. We, we are incurring a debt that if we're honest, we can never repay. And when we choose to forgive someone, we are looking at someone that has taken something from us and we are saying, I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to make you pay. Now, we can forgive and still hold accountable. We can forgive and still be angry. We can forgive and still want justice. We can forgive and there are still consequences, but we cannot forgive and demand repayment. We cannot forgive and say, you owe me and I'm going to make you pay it all back. That is not forgiveness. And we see that as we read on, beginning in verse 28. It says, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying basically the same thing. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused, and he went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You cannot forgive and demand repayment. Here he goes. He finds this fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. That was about a hundred days worth of labor versus how many was he forgiven? 200,000 years. And he goes and he grabs him and he chokes him and he, and he holds him and he is an abuser and he assaults him with physical force, emotional force. He uses the law and pulls the law in and uses that as force and throws him in jail. Just as a side note, if someone that you know is in an abusive relationship like that, get him out first. 
Get them out first. Get them help. Get them out. Get them safe. Get them legal protection. And then you can begin to walk through what forgiveness looks like and what needs to happen next. But the point here, the point here is this. Here is this servant saying the same thing that that he has just said to the master. And what does he do? He demands repayment. He refuses to forgive. And the king's judgment on him is that you cannot forgive and demand repayment. And that is why forgiveness is costly. See, think about the king. Think about what it cost him. 200,000 years of wages that he will never get back. That forgiveness is costly. It cost the king something to forgive. And he's not going to get that back. And if we think about ourselves, and we think about people we know and and things we've been through, we know that forgiveness means I'm not going to get back those sleepless nights. I'm not going to get back uh, something for all of the anguish that I went through. I'm not going to get get back those, those times of happiness that were stolen from me. It is costly to say, I'm not going to make you pay it back as if they could anyway. But this is why forgiveness takes courage. It takes strength. It takes time. The bigger the offense, the more of that it takes. And, and, and the bigger the offense, the more of that it keeps taking. That memory, those hurts, those wounds can stay with us sometimes. And so we have to keep choosing not to collect that debt. Sometimes forgiveness is not something that is just one and done. We have to keep making that choice to, to not collect the debt that we are owed. Forgiveness is costly. It is very, very costly. But unforgiveness, we can see, costs more. Verse 33, the king says, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then it says, In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And that's the same thing Jesus says at the end of the Lord's Prayer as he teaches that, that that this is going to cost you. Unforgiveness is going to cost you. And if you live in unforgiveness, that is going to put a, a, a halt on, on the growth of your relationship with others. It's going to put a halt on the growth of your relationship with God. The, the best way, the best way to have your relationship with God go stagnant and be the same and never change and have bitterness and other things like that begin to creep in is to choose not to forgive someone. Unforgiveness costs us dearly. It's much like the man who came to the Dirksons. Wilma and Cliff Dirksen were this couple who back in the 80s, um, their daughter, their 13-year-old daughter was murdered. And uh, after some things in the case had been resolved, this man showed up at their house and they had seen him around. They, they kind of recognized him from being at some of the press conferences and that kind of thing. And they opened the door and he told them, he said, I'm the parent of a murdered child too. And I've come to tell you what to expect. He spent the next two hours and he recounted things that he had lost to murder. He didn't just lose his daughter. 
He lost his relationships. He lost his work. He lost his belief in justice. He lost his trust. He lost the goodness of his life before. He even lost his daughter's memory. He showed them notebooks that he had from the trials. He pulled out the bottles of pills and he lined them up to show them all of the things that he was taking. And then he looked at them and he told them, this will destroy you. He lived a life of unforgiveness. It cost him everything, and it locked him in a prison of bitterness. The Dirksons, they're not superheroes. They're not special Christians. They're not anything like that. But hearing him as Christians, knowing God's word, they chose to forgive and to begin living that process to keep forgiving They knew that nothing could bring their daughter back, that debt could never be repaid, but they were not going to let unforgiveness take more from them. And so they chose to forgive. And it was costly. It was hard. They dealt with all kinds of emotions, anger, fear, guilt, uh, confusion, uh, unknowing. 22 years later, the man that they believe murdered their daughter was arrested and he was put on trial and they began to go through all of these things again. Now they still sought justice as they should. They were angry as they should have been. They wanted that man in prison where he belonged. They wanted other people kept safe as they should be. But every day they chose to keep forgiving. Their son it was a grown man by the time the trial happened. He had been three at, this t- at the time of the murder. He told his family, he said, you know what I think we need to do? He said, at hard times and important moments in the court, I think what we need to do, we need to take our shoes off. We need to take our shoes off as if we are in the presence of, of something holy, like Moses before the burning bush. And the reporter who was writing the story about them said, in that way, they would transform the courtroom in its ugliest moments into something sacred. Through their forgiveness, through walking through this very hard and difficult process, they saw a lot of things. They saw that, that, that they did not lose their life to unforgiveness as this other man had. In fact, they saw the opposite. They saw that God kept his promise to reshape the harm into good. And so now there is a house named after their daughter that is for the victim's families near the court in Winnipeg. They started nonprofits that would help kids and their families. Her mom goes around and she talks and she writes about trauma and forgiveness. The other kids that they have, one became an artist, one became a psychologist. They're they're all helping people in their own way. And Wilma, Candace's mother, said, all I've really done in my life is chosen to forgive. Just to let go of the bad stuff, move toward the good stuff, she says, and the rewards for that are overwhelming. Look at our children. Look at our grandchildren. It's amazing the beauty. We fight. We wound. Sometimes people even cause damage that breaks relationships. But we must 
also forgive. It is costly, but unforgiveness costs more. And you can look at the world and you can see some of the things that people do because they do not know how to forgive and they want to hold on to that. And we can see that the prison that it puts them in. But we are called to forgive. We are called to forgive. It's not optional for us. We are called to release that debt. Now again, it's not the same as trusting someone again. It's not the same as reconciliation. It's not forgetting. It's not letting go of anger necessarily. It's not letting someone get away with it. But it is releasing that debt and pursuing goodness and holiness. It is stopping the cycle. It's taking off your shoes in the middle of the argument and remembering that where there is forgiveness, you stand on holy ground. Forgiveness is hard, and it will cost you, but it will never cost you more than our forgiveness cost Jesus when he paid our debt on the cross. We will never forget. We will never forgive a debt of 200,000 years. We will never forget a debt equal to what God has forgiven us. And that is where the how comes in. You see, you see it in verse 33. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The more we dwell, the more we think about, the more we ponder, the more we take a real look at ourselves. And then we confront that with the truth of the gospel that in Christ I am forgiven. In Christ, my debt has been paid. The more that we do that, the more that we begin to find ourselves compelled to forgive. And through that, through that, we regain life and find strength to move forward. Let's pray. Jesus, you have forgiven us a greater debt than we can imagine. Lord, as as some have said, we are far worse and more broken than we could ever know, and in Christ we are far more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. Lord, as we think about those who have hurt us, Lord, as we think of our, our family members, friends, anyone who has hurt us, Lord, arguments we've had, times we've gone too far. God, I ask that you would work that forgiveness deep into our hearts so that we may forgive. Lord, where we have wounded. Lord, let us us not ask for penance. Lord, let us not be the kind of people who, who don't see the wound. Lord, let us be a people who ask for mercy, who recognize that sometimes we wound others in ways that we could never repay. So let us fall on your mercy and theirs. And trust that you are the God who forgives. Lord, as we think about the many, many times that we will have the opportunity to practice this, we ask that this will become a reflex and that you will work it deep in our hearts. All so that we can say, we are only forgiving as we have been forgiven. And in that, bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?